chapter 2. This is probably, I don't know, fourth or fifth week we've been in the book of Job, and we finally get to chapter 2. After chapter 2, I'm assuming that it'll progress quickly, um, but there's just so much in in the first few chapters of this book. Uh, In in chapter 1, we ended last week with uh, what I described waves. Uh, I'm sorry? Two weeks ago. That's right, because John preached last week. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked about the waves that, that, that just hit Job. Uh, just, just, I mean, before one servant finished telling the bad news, another servant was standing there to say, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, I've got more bad news for you. And just, it was just four waves just, just pounding him over and over and over. The first wave was that he lost his ox, uh, uh, his oxen, his asses, and his servants, gone. Boom. Uh, and as that servant was telling him, the second servant was coming to say that he had lost all his sheep and all of his servants that were watching the sheep. And then the third wave that came in was the camels and their servants. And then finally, the fourth wave that hit him was his children and, and the servants of the, the household servants. Everybody was gone. Everything. Can you imagine the agony and the pain that he had to been experiencing at that very moment? The first round, if you would, of the boxing match between he and Satan uh, ends in verse 22. And I love, I love verse 22 of chapter 1. And it says, In all this, Job sinned not, nor charge God foolishly. He won round one. But round two is about to happen. The type of pain, and, 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 I, I, I want, and this is important, we get this. The type of pain that Job had endured so far, uh, chapter one, is what we would categorize as emotional pain. Okay? I believe, and this is my opinion, that Satan uses this type of pain, the emotional pain, to discourage us first. It is very effective, and it will it, it will cause most people to crumble. But obviously, Job was a a very serious, committed believer in God. And his faith was not in his stuff or in his family. His faith was in God. Many believers today struggle with emotional pain. And I, I am, please, let me get this right out in the open. I am not criticizing anybody who struggles with emotional pain. Because the, re- the reality is every, everyone in this room struggles with emotional pain. We all do. Okay? And what I want to do tonight is I want to try, the first part of the message is try to try and help understand emotional pain. Because if we don't understand it, then it hurts even more. But when we can understand what is going on in our lives 
then it's, it, it, it helps us deal with these things. Um, let me read you a list, and this is not an exhaustive list. It's a long list, but it's not exhaustive of what emotional pain looks like. Overwhelming fear, oppressive, compulsive behavior, detachment from other people and emotions, uh, uh, emotional numbing. Y'all understand that one. The depression, guilt, especially if someone has passed away. Not having the ability to deal with guilt before somebody dies. What can absolutely destroy someone. Shame, shock, uh, disbelief, uh, irritability, anger, anxiety, uh, panic attacks, and the list can go on and on and on. Uh, emotional pain is a very real thing. And let me say this. If, if you're stupid enough to say, hey, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't have emotional problems. If you're stupid enough to say that, you're setting yourself up for some big problems yourself. Because we, every single one of us is susceptible to it. And if you think, because you are a believer in Jesus Christ that you're immune to emotional trouble or emotional problems, and then, then you're, you're, you're feeding yourself a lie. And God, God would call you a, a fool. So we need to be very, very careful here. So I want to say something here. I want to make a statement. And, and, and before you crucify me, let me explain my statement. Okay? Y'all promise? Okay. <laughs> emotional no excuse me let me start over most emotional pain that we go through is a result of unbelief now just let that sink in for a minute and 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 as as it sinks in i i i want to try and help you understand the origins of emotional pain Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned whatsoever state I am, therefore to be content. I know both how to abase and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, hey, God has called us as believers to be prepared for every situation. And through Christ, I can do all things. Now, what is Satan going to do in your life when you try to stand for God? He is going to do the exact same thing in your life that he did to Job. And he's try, going to try and to defeat you and discourage you emotionally. And most emotional pain for a believer is a result of unbelief. You got that slide, Chris? Let's, let's, I, I put this up. It's going to be kind of grainy. You're not going to really be able to read it. 
uh, very well, except for the big words. Can you all see these big words? Okay, the very first one says unbelief. Okay? And if you want if you want a, a handout of this, I can print I can print this out for you. Um, but <clears throat> basically unbelief leads to what? Discontent. Discontent or discouragement can lead to one of two things: anxiety or anger. And both of them lead to this right here. Can y'all read what that says? despair but where does it start how do we get here we get here through unbelief unbelief says and and you can't read it on here it's too grainy but <clears throat> the 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 lie of unbelief is god is not doing enough for me god himself is not enough for me i need something more that's what unbelief says. Unbelief says, my God is not able to, to, to handle or control my situations. Now, let's apply this to the book of Job. Did Job at any time believe that God, at least in chapter 1, because that's, that's all we've gotten to, in chapter 1, through all of that, did Job ever reach a point where he, he, he believed that God was not able to meet his needs? Not one time. So because he understood and he, he stayed focused in his faith, his belief in God, then discontentment, discouragement never happened. Because God... In the life of Job, God is always enough. And in our lives, if we are going to fight anger, anxiety, disappointment, despair, any of these things, it all starts right here. It starts with belief. And we have to believe that God is able, and not only that He is able, but that He will meet every need you have. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. Yes, yes. Most, I said most. Okay, emotional pain is down here, is these three. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Emotional pain is these three. How do you get to these three with unbelief? See, and that's, that, I, I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm, I'm, thank you for clarifying that. Uh, I know what I meant. What you should know too. <laughs> okay. The emotional pain that we we experience. There's not one person in this room that has not been uh, uh, discontent or discouraged or, or, or anything. We we've all been there, uh, and more than once. Uh, there's not a person in this room has, that has not experienced anxiety at one time or another. Um, there has been nobody in this room that has not experienced anger at one time or another. 
But I can say there are people in this room that have never experienced despair. Emotional pain is a very real thing. And if we understand how it works, then it helps us to identify and deal with the, the pain. Does that make sense? Any other questions before I move on? Yes, sir. Um, okay, uh, under despair it says um, a, a lust for more is the basis for every temptation of the heart. Oh, oh, despair? Oh, despair. Um, yeah, uh, is emotional hopelessness, yes. You can actually read that? Wow. <laughs> oh, uh, we'll get to the very bottom one later. Okay, yeah, we're, gonna, we're actually going to come back to this. We're going to come back to this chart. Um, <clears throat> because uh, it, it'll, it'll make a little bit more sense as we, as we go along. Any other questions? Man, I can't believe you read that. I, I, I'm right here and I can't even read it. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, dis, uh, describes uh, the real world. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That is the real world. Satan wants you to believe that that is a lie. That God is not able to meet your needs. That is what Satan wants you to believe. But the reality is, God is able to supply our needs. James chapter 1, verse 14, But every man, when he is tempted, uh, <clears throat> when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. Is it a sin to be tempted? No. When does it become sin? When you do it. When you allow yourself to be drawn away of your own lust and enticed. So the sin does not happen until we choose for it to happen, if you would. The key to Job's success, I hate to call it success, but I didn't know what else to call it. But his, his, the, the Job's key to, to his success was his ability to, to believe that God was in control. He never lost faith in God's ability to control the situations. Satan's plan is to cause doubt and or unbelief. Doubt and unbelief are the same thing, at least in my perspective. The title of my message is this, The Pressure of Pain. The pressure of pain. Let's look at Job chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God, <clears throat> excuse me, when the sons of God uh, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them and presented himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Okay, now, do those two verses sound similar to the beginning of chapter 1? 
Okay, almost word for word. Now, I don't know how often God does roll call in heaven. Okay, we, we are not told the time span between chapter 1 and chapter 2. But we do know that there is a, t- there is a time span between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Cha- uh, verse 3, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there be none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And, this is where it becomes new, and still he hold fat, holdeth fast uh, his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without what? Without cause. For no reason. Physical pain can bring unbearable pressure into a life, into the life of an individual. If you've never suffered with chronic pain, you are an incredibly fortunate person. Chronic pain has been known to drive people absolutely insane. Chronic pain is. I was watching um, uh, recently a documentary on uh, the Navy SEAL training. I, I, I'm fascinated by that. And they they said in this documentary that <clears throat> around 15% of the people that apply to be Navy SEALs actually make it to be Navy SEALs. 15%. And the reasoning that they gave was because the other 85% could not handle the physical pain that they had to endure in order to make it. Physical pain is something that can absolutely discourage and get people to turn away from God. But let's look at Job's integrity. Job's integrity, first point. Verses 1 and 2 basically are just a rehash of the almost word for word what is in chapter 1. But in verse 3, God initiates another challenge to Satan. I love what he says about Job, and still he holdeth fast his integrity. Wow, what an incredible, incredible statement. How many times have I lost my cool when under pressure? Yet Job, God said of Job that he kept his integrity throughout all of it, and the thing that, that the icing on the cake is he did nothing wrong. Job understood that he could not allow the circumstances of life to control him. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and <clears throat> it shall be given him. 
but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, no doubt in your mind. If you ask in faith, believing, for he that wavereth is like the, the, the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. What is James saying here? If you want God to answer your prayer, if you want to be able to stand in those difficult times, you have to come to God in belief, nothing wavering, understanding and believing that God is in control. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine or by the slight of men or the cunning craftiness whereby they lie wait and wait to deceive. We need to be people that are understand the Word of God and can stand on these truths. Job's integrity was grounded in that belief. Now let's go back to the to the uh, to the chart, and I want to talk about something here that what that I call the what ifs. If you if you look here the, right here with the, the the real small print that he was asking about a minute ago, <clears throat> is what I call the what ifs. And if we live in the what if world, what okay? Before I even go any further, what do you think I mean by the what if world? Huh? Okay, it hasn't yet happened. It may not ever happen. Imagination. You know, I, I read a statistic one time that that and, and I wish I I wish I'd have printed it out and saved it because I'm not per, I don't know exactly the the, the percentage, but I, I believe it was about 15 percent or so of what we worry about actually comes to fruition. It might have even been lower than that. I can't remember. But I, I can guarantee you, if you are fretting, that's a southern word, by the way, to fret. If you're fretting over something tonight, chances are, really, really good, it'll never happen. In fact, it's really, really good, it won't even come close to happening. And as, if we live in this what-if world, it will it will drive us over the edge. Discontentment says, what if I had what I need? Or, or excuse me, I'm sorry, I, I, I misread that. If only I had what I need. That's, that's right here. That's what that, that line right there says. <clears throat> if only I had what I, I need. Then below it, it says, I should be or have, you fill in the blank. I don't like you fill in the blank. Those, those are the what ifs right there. If, if, if only I could get that promotion at work. If, if only this or, if, you know, I, I, if only I had more money. If only I had a better car. If only so-and-so would leave me alone. I should have this. I should be. We can't live in that. What did Paul say? 
Be content with such as you have. But it, it, when we allow those things to take place, discontentment sets in. Unbelief leads to discontentment. Anxiety, right here. This one here says, what if I don't get what I need? What if God is not able to meet my needs? What if my car breaks between here and Reno to pick up Larry with two kids in the car? <laughs> you know, you, you, you see what I'm saying? We could beat ourselves to death worrying about stuff we have no business worrying about. Amen. The uh, under anger is uh, I'm upset because I don't have what I need. I have. Have you ever been dumb enough like me to say this? I am angry and I want to be angry. <laughs> I've got the right to be angry. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's righteous anger. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> I mean, hey, we've all been there, have we not? And it, and it is a root of unbelief. That gets us there. Because the reality is, God knows what I need. Not me. And if I don't have it, guess what? I don't need it. And then on the very bottom here, the one that is, I will never get what I need. When we get to the point where we believe that God not only will not give me what I need, but He will never give me what I need, then we've reached the point of despair. And it all is a, it, it, and, and all of this emotional pain starts right here with unbelief. But Job's integrity was intact. Yes, ma'am. The key is this. <clears throat> we can I'm married to a planner, okay? I'm not a planner. I, I fly by the seat of my pants, okay? I just do. I don't plan anything. In fact, she asked me a question and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So the, the 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 difference is this. When we plan and schedule the will of God out of our lives is when we get in trouble. See, we always have to be flexible. We always have to be willing to say, God, you know best. And, and, and again, it's, it's a little uh, um, hypocritical of me to say this because I don't live like that. <laughs> I just, I just kind of go with the flow most of the time. But the reality is, God does want us to plan. 
God does want us to look to the future and have vision and have goals. And I, and I have to, that's something that I have to work at. It doesn't come natural to me. But at the same time, I have to understand that even though I'm planning maybe four or five years out, I have to understand God has the, the right to change those plans at any time. Because he's in control. He can, he can trump any plan I can, I can make. And, 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 and one of the reasons I, I usually don't plan too far ahead is because he has changed so many of my plans. <laughs> it's like, why bother, you know? <laughs> you know? Does that answer your question? We, we have to be flexible. We have to be. Uh, if we're going to understand and allow God to work in our lives. Any other questions before we move on? Because this, is, this, this can be a little confusing. But I think, I think it's important to understanding who Job is. Okay, point number two. Satan tries again. Look at verses four through six. And Satan answered uh, the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, and, and uh, all that he uh, hath uh, will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So in other words, Satan was given permission to do anything he could physically to Job. In verse 4, oh, there was a hand? Yes, ma'am. Okay, what, what, Satan, what Satan is saying is, what Satan is saying to God is, if you, if you will put your finger on Job physically, then he will curse you to your face. Okay? And, but what does God say in verse 6? Okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let you do it. But the key is in verse 4. The, he says, he says, and Satan answered and said, uh, skin to skin, <clears throat> which is a phrase we wouldn't necessarily use, but uh, it says, all that a man hath will he give for what? His life. In other words, what he's saying is, every man has his price. And if you, and then, then he says, and if you will touch his body and cause him to hurt physically, he will then curse you to your face. Yes. Right. So he got to the point that things get a little desperate. Right, exactly. That's where we're at. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, God, God says you can, you can strip everything away, but you can't touch him physically. And then Satan brings on the challenge and says, and says you know what? 
<clears throat> in, in other words, uh, every man has his price, especially when it comes to physical pain. Everybody will break eventually. Did I have a hand over here? Yes. Again, that's a phrase that we wouldn't use um, today. Huh? Yeah, it's just a it's just a phrase. It's it, it, it you know um, my understanding of the skin to skin for skin is just talking about the physical body. Yeah, I don't I don't. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's 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 just referring to the to the physical body. Uh, again, that's not phraseology we would use today. First Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen: uh, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with temptation make a, a way of escape that you will be able to bear it. Now this is we talked about this particular verse. Excuse me, Wednesday night in Bible study. Those those of us that were here Wednesday night. Uh, know what I'm talking about here, but I, I want to I wanted to bring it up again because it's an important verse that we need to understand. Can you go back a slide, Chris? Um, <clears throat> question, and I asked this question Wednesday. So if you were here Wednesday and you know the answer, do not answer. Let someone else answer. Uh, is this verse saying God will not give you more than you can handle? Okay, and this is a loaded question. Okay, <laughs> it's a trick question. No, that is not what he's saying. Okay, he is not saying he will not give you more than you can handle. Okay. Okay, but okay. Next question. What does what does this verse say? Okay, he gives us a way out. In other words, uh, God will grow us and enable us to endure the situations we are in. Okay, now, question. Did Job, or, or excuse me, would Job have said prior to all of this stuff happening, Okay, Job, you know, not, okay, let's just pretend we are pre-Job 1-1. And you had the opportunity to walk up to Job 20 minutes before this first servant shows up and said, hey, Job, I got a question for you. Um, if you were going, if you were able, let, let's just say you, you were going to lose everything that you own, your children, everything, every animal, everything that you own, poof, it's going to be gone. And then Satan is going to just totally invade your body physically and he's going to torture you physically to the breaking point. Do you think you could handle that? What do you think Job would have said? Probably no way. He, he, how many times... See, the problem is, if you, if you interpret this verse to saying, oh, God says he won't give me more than I can handle. 
who defines what I can handle? I do. Exactly. But what is God going to do in your life? He's going to push you and he's going to grow you into something that you're not. And he's going to empower you to be able to do that. That's what this verse is saying. Number three, and, and we'll be done. Job's pain. Let's look at, let's look at verses seven and eight. <clears throat> so when Satan, uh, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore, sore boils uh, from the sole of his feet to the crown of his, uh, uh, to this crown. And he took him uh, a potsherd, a potsherd and scraped himself wherewith, uh, uh, excuse me, withal, and sat down among the ashes. Okay, <clears throat> couple things here. Number one, where did Job end up? The, this this place with the ashes. Anybody know what this is? Okay, it was it was it was the city dump. Okay, they there was a place outside the city where they would take all their trash and they would burn it. And this is where Job ends up. Now, where was Job in Job chapter 1 before verse 1 happens? He's living in a palace. He's the richest guy for, for miles. Probably the richest guy on the earth at the time. And he ends up in the city dump. I want to talk about the actual uh, illness that he has. I've, I've done a lot of reading and and I, most theologians believe it's one of two things. One believes, uh, some believe it was leprosy, but most believe that it was something called uh, elephantitis. I, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody with elephantitis. Uh, I have. Uh, I, I used to do work for someone that had elephantitis. And it is a horrible, horrible disease. I got a picture for you. Um, this is obviously a bad case of elephantitis, but <clears throat> I believe, again, this is my opinion, uh, that it, it, what Job was inflicted with was some form of elephantitis. If you go on the internet, you can see that there are many, many different forms of it, um, but I believe that this is it. Now, <clears throat> what is a boil? Have you ever had a boil? It is the most painful thing known to man. Now, I've never had one, okay? Praise the Lord, I've never had one. And, but I have been told that boils are the most painful things. Huh? Oh, leave it up, Chris. Don't take it down. Leave it up. <laughs> you know, people throwing up here in a minute. Uh, uh, I, I've been told that, that boils, and, and the thing about a boil is there's nothing you can do about it. It, it just hurts. You can't, you can't, it, there's nothing you can do about it. And he was covered with boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. Now, we don't know what the disease was, but we do know, and let me go through this list, uh, in chapter 2, verse 8, uh, that it was sores and scabs. Chapter 3, verse 13, that he had it caused insomnia. Uh, chapter 19, verse 17, it caused bad breath. <clears throat> chapter 19, verse 20, it caused weight loss. Uh, chapter 21, verse 6, he had chills and fever. Chapter 30, verse 27, he had diarrhea. 
chapter 30, verse 30, it caused him to have black skin. And then in chapter 2, verse 12, turn there, we're already in chapter 2, look at verse 12. It says, and when they, his so-called friends, uh, and when they had lifted up their eyes afar off, uh, they knew him not. They didn't even recognize him. His body was so distorted. They didn't even recognize him. So again, we don't know exactly what the, what the disease was that Satan inflicted on him, uh, but we do know that it caused him lots of pain. So let me close with some thoughts. Number one, God is always there for you. He has never moved. No matter what you think, no matter how you feel, God is always there. And not only is He there, but He knows what is best for you. Please get a hold of that. I think it was probably more evident than ever this last couple of months ago when Melanie and I were watching our grandchildren. Four-year-olds know everything, right? And our little granddaughter, you know, she knows everything. She's got it under control. Yeah, granddad, I got it. You know, but the reality is what? The, the truth is, we know better what she needs than she needs. And there were times that we had to spank her little butt or her little hand or do whatever we needed to do because she wanted to do something that wasn't good. It's usually was she was wanting to climb on something that wasn't good. We need to understand that God knows what's best for us. But more importantly than that, we need to understand that God will do what is best for us. And there are times that He's going to put us into situations and circumstances, and He's going to stretch us in ways that we think is impossible. But God will do what we need done in our lives. The key to Job's success was his ability to understand and to maintain that God was in control. His faith was so strong. He understood. And we must allow, we must allow God to work in the circumstances around us. Because if we allow the circumstances of life to control us, we will end up in despair. But if we allow God to control those circumstances and allow God to work us through those circumstances, then we, like Job, can, can stand before an almighty God and he can point his finger at us like he did Job and said, you sin not, and you and I cannot charge you foolishly. It's all about perspective. 
and allowing God the ability to work in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. <clears throat> thank you for your love and the work that you